Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Everyone, um, nice to be here this morning or this afternoon. <laughs> um, we're just going to open up, of course, on Galatians, and we're going to be in Galatians chapter six. And um, I don't know about you, but I've been very blessed by. Um, hearing all that's been said these past number of weeks about Galatians and learning from it more about God and more about who we are um, in light of that as well and more about the fact that we are free in Christ and that no works can attain salvation but that we have freedom in Christ and how amazing that really is. So we're going to open up now in Galatians chapter 6 and before we start I'm going to quote someone it's going to be Muhammad Ali of all people. He said, work hard and suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. It's a very Ali thing to say, isn't it? Or Gandhi, the future depends on what we do in the present, so work for it. Or Ryan Gosling says, you can do whatever you really love to do, no matter what it is. Or Will Smith, the first step is to say that you can and then you can do it. We live in a world, don't we, that worships working to success. If I work hard enough, if I do all that I can, I can achieve anything. That's the mantra, especially in the Western world, that you can achieve anything you want so long as you work for it. You can work to achieve anything you like so long as you put your mind to it. Now, of course, it can be very easy to transfer that way of thinking into the terms of the soul. And we say to ourselves, if I work hard enough, if I do enough, if I'm good enough and I attain to these morals and do not enough of these sins and I just get the balance right if I work hard enough and do this and that A, B and C, follow these laws I can be successful in attaining salvation and being right before God now of course you and I know as you're hearing that that that's not the case and very much in Galatians Paul is writing this letter to tell them no, you can't work to salvation, you cannot be good enough You're not good enough. You know, work is like a formula, isn't it? If you go to the gym, for example, and you're putting the work in, you need to have the right nutrients that you're taking. You need to work the right muscles and the right days. And it's like maths in a sense. You're you're working hard to try to get the formula correct. Or if you go into a job, you're doing the right hours and you're attaining to the right goals. And if I just do this, that, A, B, and C in the correct way, I will achieve what I want. But when it comes to salvation, you cannot achieve forgiveness before God. We are not good enough. God says that everyone has sinned before him. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul is writing to this Galatian church, as we've been discovering in these past few weeks, to tell them to stop trying to work for salvation. There's been a group of people called Judaizers because they are um, attaining to the old Jewish religion. And they're saying to these new Christians, these new Gentile Christians, you need to be circumcised in order to have salvation. This is a law that you must follow in order to be good enough before God. And Paul is reminding these Galatians that there's nothing they can do to be right before God. Jonathan Edwards says this, he says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. So all that you've contributed is the sin that made it necessary for Jesus Christ to go to this earth and to die for us and to pay the price that we couldn't pay. 
And so the Galatians, they knew this. They had accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. They had been forgiven by him. They have been amazed by the forgiveness and the redemption that they've been offered. And then they've slipped into this old way of thinking again of what can I do to inherit eternal salvation? And so we're being reminded that we can be set free from the law, that the law is something we couldn't attain. It's too high a standard for us to be able to reach. We cannot reach perfection, but we've been set free from trying to attain perfection before God. We've been set free from the chains of the law, in a sense, and into freedom in Christ. And we've been given this gospel of grace, this good news of God's grace to us, that we've been saved by grace and not by works. We've been saved by the works of Jesus Christ, who is perfect, who has done it all for us, who has run the race that we couldn't run, so that if we trust in him, we can be forgiven. But of course, it's possible for us to have the danger of this same old mindset. And so as we were hearing last week in chapter 5, we were hearing about keeping in step with the Spirit. And not keeping in step with the law, but keeping in step with the Spirit. But as Paul writes this, I'm sure he's thinking to himself, now hold on, these Galatians might read this wrong. They might read about, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, and think, I can achieve this. Okay, well, here's my formula. I was doing the wrong thing. I was going for the circumcision route. That doesn't work. I need to do this. I need to try to show love, kindness, patience. Okay, I'll work to that today. Today I'm going to work on love. Tomorrow I'll work on patience or whatever. And, you know, create a little um, timetable for yourself. And this is their new formula. And, of course, that's not the case. You can't achieve salvation by any means. And so Paul, after he's written in chapter 5 about keeping in step with the Spirit, is probably quite aware that the Galatians could simply shift from one um, focus to another and still be trying in and of themselves to attain perfection. And so he finished chapter 5 by saying, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then he says in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And that was quite an interesting way to finish the chapter. And actually, I think it's a really interesting way to begin this new chapter, chapter 6. It could well have been the start of this chapter because it's something that Paul is aware of is that they can become proud. If you're starting to attain to these things and say, yeah, you know what, actually, I'm not, I uh, haven't been sexually immoral or impure this week or sensual or idolatrous or all those things in verse 19. I've been working really hard not to have strife in my family or to be jealous. And you think, oh, look, I've been really loving and kind. Look at this really patient thing I did this week. And you start to think to yourself, oh, actually, I'm not so bad. I'm a pretty good Christian. Go me. And so Paul finishes the chapter by saying, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Because what happens whenever you start to get proud is you start to think to yourself, I'm better. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. You know, okay, well, I did do this mistake or I hadn't really uh, performed this task very well, but I did it better than her. You know, or at least I don't struggle with what he struggles with in that area. You can even turn into your prayers, couldn't it? Oh, dear Lord God, thank you that I don't struggle with um, this sin that, you know, my brother struggles with. I pray that you'll help him overcome it. I don't have that struggle, but I pray for him. And we can start to get very proud of ourselves. Maybe you wouldn't say it aloud, but that is provoking one another, isn't it? We start to provoke each other whenever you start to think of yourselves as better than them. Or it can flip the other way and you envy people in verse 26. 
You start to envy, verse 26 of chapter 5, because you're thinking, oh no, hold on, he, she is better than me. Oh, I can't achieve what he's just done. And you start to envy them, and you want to be more like them, and it starts to become a whole jealousy thing as well. And so it's a comparative pride. This pride that we can have is to compare ourselves to others, like a parasite feeding off others to attain the pride that we so desperately want, to be able to say that we are good enough. And so the whole point, of course, of chapter 5, as Keith very well was telling us last week, was instead of trying to be better people in and of ourselves, it was to help us to rely on the Spirit. To keep in step with the Spirit, we need the Spirit working within us. We need to be in Christ because we cannot do it by ourselves. So with that in mind, I'm going to start reading now Galatians chapter 6. It says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season... We will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with which, what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And so that's our chapter, a wonderful chapter. Now, as I've mentioned, there's a danger of a We'll call it parasite pride. A pride where you are being like a parasite and feeding off others, comparing yourself to others in order to feel better about yourself. A bit like a hot air balloon, being all puffed up, but simply with hot air. And instead, of course, it said there in verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. Now, of course, as you read that, you might think to yourself, hold on. It's talking about boasting in yourself. Is that not just going against what we've just been talking about? But we don't need to be too concerned by that. Whenever we look at the words, it really means to keep your achievements to yourself. 
So instead of boasting in yourself because you're saying, well, look, I'm better than him, I'm better than her, examine yourself before God alone. And I can guarantee you'll not really be boasting then because you'll notice that actually you're pretty imperfect before God. And so it's a bit like um, The Lord of the Rings. I love The Lord of the Rings. It's a great, great series of movies. Um, now, Gandalf is a wizard and then there's lots of hobbits as well and the hobbits are meant to be much smaller than the wizard and so there's a lot of wizardry that goes on in the movie where they can angle the cameras in certain ways to make it look like Gandalf is much bigger. One of the methods they use is the mugs. They give Gandalf a really small mug and the hobbits have really big mugs because by comparison then it means he looks like he's a lot bigger. So it's a bit of camera trickery. Now of course if you want to feel young, maybe you might work in a care home. You might feel younger then if you're working in a retirement home. Or perhaps if you want to feel old, you might work in a primary school. Although it doesn't really work for me. But um, By comparing yourself with others, you can help yourself feel a certain way. And if you want to feel better than others, just compare yourself with their faults. And then you feel much better about yourself, like a parasite. Now... The other option, like I've mentioned already, is to feel like you're worse than other people and start to beat yourself up and beat yourself in the chest and think you're terrible because as you compare yourself before others, you realize that, well, hold on, I'm struggling with this fault and he seems to have overcome it. I'm a terrible person. And that's not good either whenever you start to beat yourself up. Instead, we need to come before God and ask for his help and his strength and trust in him alone. You know, because pride is actually the very first sin, if you think about it. You know, Lucifer, whenever he was in heaven, he was proud and thought, I can be like God. And that was the very first sin as he, as he fell from heaven. And of course, what did Satan do as he came across man and woman? Adam and Eve, the very first man and woman, he tried to trick them with the same sin that had him cast out of heaven. He tried to get them to be proud. He lied to them and said, you know what, if you eat of this fruit, God told you not to eat of it, but if you eat of this fruit, you'll actually have the knowledge of God yourself. You can be like God. And this pride tickled the hearts of Adam and Eve, and they thought, I want to be like God. And so in pride, they took of the fruit they shouldn't have. And so pride came, and the result was the fall. And of course, nothing exposes this attitude of pride quite like dealing with another person's sin. And so if we look at how chapter 6 begins, we can see that Paul is talking about how we deal with another's sin. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, don't get too caught away by the word spiritual. It doesn't mean some kind of worldly sense of the word spiritual that has been used today. Um, it simply means walking in the Spirit, like we just heard in chapter 5. The love, the joy, the, the peace, the fruit of the Spirit working within you. If you're a Christian, if you trust in God, the Spirit can be at work within you. And so that's what it means to be spiritual. So if you're spiritual, you should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. So that's one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? Spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Because, of course, as you're comparing yourself with that person, you can start to feel proud. So keep watching yourself, lest you become tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's a sacrifice involved in this, in bearing each other's burdens. In the church, we should be doing this too, looking out for each other. We should always be having an open door to each other. Whenever there's issues that arise, 
We should be there for each other. And of course, that also means a little bit of burden on yourself. Whenever you have a big table and it's said it's 100 pounds and you want to lift it and it's too heavy to carry yourself, someone else helps you. Well, now they've got 50 pounds and you've got 50 pounds, but they've taken on some of your weight. And so whenever we bear each other's burdens, we are taking on some of each other's weight, but that's what we're called to do. So whenever we're dealing with another person's sin, it's, Paul isn't saying to scold them. He isn't saying, ah, oh, serves them right. Or quite often what happens is you say nothing to them, you're very kind, but you go home and you talk about it over the dinner table. You hear what he did, hear what she did, and it becomes a gossip thing. Or you start to feel self-righteous about yourself. And so this really exposes the pride in our hearts. And yet Paul is saying if you're spiritual, if you're trusting in God, if you recognize yourself as fallen before God, if you have no pride in your heart, but you realize that you're a fallen sinner before Jesus Christ, then you're not going to be like that as you're dealing with other people with their sin. You're going to love them. You're going to love the brothers and sisters in your church. And if you see someone struggling with something, you're going to draw alongside them. Now, it doesn't say if you see someone struggling with something, you're going to walk away and, and ignore them and say, well, that's their problem, but I'm not going to infringe upon them. I'm not going to make them feel bad about it. We still actually need to draw alongside each other and help each other because we want each other to be able to walk in the spirit. We're meant to be encouraging each other, so long as it's called today, to walk in the spirit and to follow Jesus Christ. And so we sh it should hurt us if we see others struggling in a certain way. And we should, even if it's going to mean we get a bit of flack for it, we should lovingly come before them and offer help. And that's what Paul is asking us to do. And it's a very humble thing to do because it's much easier to ignore and just to move on than to have to risk losing a friend over going and speaking to someone about something. But if you do it out of love and you do it out of gentleness, then hopefully they will see that and they will recognize that this isn't actually someone who's coming before and thinking they're really proud or thinking that they're perfect. They're coming to help me. And so we should humbly walk in the spirit. We've been set free from our hearts of pride and set free to be able to love our brothers and sisters the way that we should. And I love the fact that it says to gently restore. Um, the word actually, that, that word restore comes from a root word, which is katartitsa, which means put in order, which I find very interesting because I was looking it up and actually that word was being used for other um, reasons that word would be used back in the day was for re the resetting of a bone. So if someone's bone was broken, you'd very gently reset the bone. Now, of course, if your bone was broken and you were before the nurse or the doctor and you wanted to have it reset, you'd be very thankful if they were doing it gently. You know, you wouldn't want them to get the hammer out and say, oh, don't worry, I'm just going to smash this back into place for you. You'd want them to do it gently, wouldn't you? And so whenever we're broken and we have sin, you want people to draw alongside and help you in a gentle way to lead you back to Christ. It's also that same word is used for the repairing of nets as well, something that you take time over and care over. And so this gentleness and this self-control, of course, it will be involved in helping others are fruit of the Spirit, and we can't do it without the Spirit working within us. And so we need to keep watching ourselves and examine ourselves and say, am I keeping in step with the Spirit? Or am, I, or am I keeping in step with my own fleshly desires and with the law? And so we're told to bear each other's burdens. And then we see in verse 5, it says, for each of you will have to bear his own load. Now that might sound like a contradiction. We've just been talking about bearing each other's loads. And now it says, each of you will have to bear his own load. Well, the words actually here are different as well. Burden and load are different words. And what it really means is the load of responsibility before God. So 
Each of us have our own responsibility before God to keep in step with the Spirit, to follow him, to keep our hearts and our minds aligned to him, to follow him each day. That is our own account before God. So that's really what that means. Verse 6, it says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is another way of being responsible before God, keeping our account before him, is that we should be responsible to each other and responsible to the church. And one way of doing that is to share all good things with the one who teaches. So in ministry, in the church, we, we should be sharing, and that's what we do with our tithing and so on, is we're, we're, we're giving, aren't we? We're giving out of our goodness and our hearts um, to the church and to the ministry and that's something we're called to do um, to be able to give the good things that you have for the glory of God so we see then in verse 7 we talk about sowing and reaping and it's continuing to look at what it means to walk in the spirit and to take responsibility of who you are before God to be walking in the spirit what does that look like in verse 7 here's one of the examples of how it looks it says do not be deceived God has not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And in verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so either you're sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the Spirit in your life. Either you're sowing to yourself and trying to attain standards by your own means, or you're trying to sow to the Spirit, you're letting God work within you and letting him be at work and you're sowing to the Spirit. And of course, whatever you sow, that you will reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will sow pride and this conceitedness and provoking one another and envying one another. And what we saw in verse 19 of chapter 5, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the sensuality, all that is sowing to the flesh. But if we sow to the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness that we see in chapter 5, verse 22. And so Paul is really serious about what he's writing. And he's now going to get to the very heart of the letter, what the whole letter's all been about. And so he takes the pen off the scribe and he writes it himself. He says in verse 11, See with which large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Probably capitals and as big as he can. He's writing this bit now, this final part of chapter 6 from verse 11 to 18. He is now writing this with his own hand as he cuts to the heart of the letter. You know, I've heard some commentators, or there's all arguments over this. You know, was it his eyesight from the road to Damascus, or, uh, Damascus even? Or was it his hands, perhaps, that were calloused over time? But I think the reason he was writing with such large letters was because he was, it was so important. He wants them to hear the message that he's about to write. And what does he do? Verse 12, he first of all undermines the Judaizers. These people who came in and was sowing all sorts of disruption within the church and telling these people that they had to attain standards such as circumcision and by their own means to, in order to attain salvation. And he undermines them and he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, this was just another way of parasitic boasting, of comparative boasting. What these Judaizers were doing was they were just comparing themselves to each other and saying, guess how many people I got to get circumcised this week? Guess how many people I had following these rules? Look how great I am. And also it's comparing because whenever they tell people of what they should do and they know that they have done this thing, 
that people look at them and say, well, look how great these Judaizers are. They have followed all these rules that we have to follow and start to compare. And it was just building up pride. It's more of that comparing parasitical pride that they have. Look at my achievements. And of course, that's something that we are very a great danger that we can do too, isn't it? This whole look at me mentality. Look who I've invited along to church this week or look who, um, how, when I spoke in youth group or look what I've done in my workplace and, and starting a prayer meeting or look what I've done A, B and C. Well, whatever you've done, you think to yourself, look, look at how good I am. I'm amazing. And instead, Paul tells us with his large letters not to be boasting in yourself but to be boasting only in Christ. And so with his large letters, what does he write in verse 14? He says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's, he's dead to the world. The world's dead to him. It doesn't matter what he does to try to attain the, the likeness of others and get others to like him. That's not important. What's important is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's just boasting in the blood of Jesus and saying, this is enough. I am not enough. I couldn't do it by myself. But look at Jesus. Look what he did for me. Because we're, I'm totally imperfect. I'm not good enough. I couldn't do it. I can never attain salvation. In fact, I'm, I, I'm deserving of eternal punishment before God. And yet God in his love for me sent Jesus Christ, who is perfect, the Son of God, into this world to live the perfect life among us, the perfect life that I could never achieve. Jesus did it. He did it for me. He didn't have to come into this world. He didn't have to go through the stress and the anguish of being in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his very death. He didn't have to be there, but he did. He went there for me. He didn't have to have nails nailed through his hands and his feet. He could have left us to be punished. He could have left us in our sin. But Jesus paid the price for me. Thorns through his head, his, his whole back beaten. A whole night of being beaten up by people. Spat upon, mocked, slapped. And he did it for us. He did it for the people who were slapping him and beating him. He did it because he loves me. And because of that I go free. I'm free from the bondage of sin. And from the bondage of the law. And I'm free to eternal salvation and eternal forgiveness because he died for me and I've accepted him because I can't do it by myself. The blood of Jesus has forgiven me. We can just boast in that and just delight in that. And if we're really amazed by it, it should become a natural thing for us to boast about. Don't we just talk about the thing we, we love the most? It doesn't take long to talk to someone who's mad into football before you discover they're into football. It shouldn't take long for those who chat to us to discover we are amazed by God and we want to boast only in him and not in ourselves. It's in Christ alone that we have forgiveness. And he said that in verse 15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. I am a new creation in Christ. He has made me new. I'm born again and it's all because of him. And there's a great blessing that comes with that in verse 16. And as for all who work by this rule, peace, walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Do you want God's peace and mercy? Trust in him alone. Stop trying to do it by yourself. And then in verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Paul is showing that he has been suffering for Christ. 
because it is Christ that is the only one worth suffering for. And so as you go through this life, there is, it's not going to be easy. Paul's not saying that. He's not saying just do what you like, that you can't achieve the law, so just do whatever you want. No, we are to walk by the Spirit, but we do it through the strength of God. And that may cause suffering, it will cause suffering, but we do it because we love God and because he suffered for us and has given us eternal life and eternal forgiveness and eternal salvation. We do it out of love for him. And so at the very verse, the end of the chapter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit, brothers. Amen. Just as I finish, um, I heard a story about Billy Graham. He was um, back in kind of his heyday in a sense. He was speaking at Cambridge University and he was kind of just starting to get quite renowned and he was getting a lot of criticism from the, from the press and so he was nervous about speaking in Cambridge University. It was the biggest place he'd spoken in to date at this stage and so he was swatting up on all the different um, commentators um, from his own words and from different preachers and so on and wanting to quote them and make himself kind of sound smart and he said it didn't really work for him very well the first four days but on the final day he cast all that aside and thought you know what I think I'm actually starting to get a wee bit proud here and trying to make myself sound good I'm just going to preach in the blood of Jesus Christ and he spent that whole final fifth day just preaching the blood of Jesus and boasting in Jesus and exalting Jesus and 400 souls came to the Lord Jesus that day as they came forward and, and asked him for, for forgiveness because they weren't looking for an impressive status of someone who was in front of them. They were looking for forgiveness and they recognized it's because of Jesus I can go free. And there was a, the region's professor of divinity was there, college chaplain and a future bishop, and they were totally opposed to the, to the blood of Jesus being a means of salvation. But Billy Graham had just forgot about them and he just thought, you know what, I need to preach the blood of Jesus and that's what we should do as well, isn't it? Let's just boast in him not in ourselves. And let's heed the warning in Galatians not to try to achieve things by ourselves. Even as Christians, like these Galatians were, they fell back to this old way of thinking. Let's remember that we're not good enough, but that Christ is. That we can have forgiveness and peace in him. And we can walk in the Spirit through him that the Spirit will, walk, will be at work within us. And yes, we'll fall and yes, we'll slip. But God is always there to forgive us and to give us another chance to stand up again and follow him again the next day. His grace is new every morning. And so as I finish, I'm just going to read um, the first two verses of a song that I'd like us to uh, sing just after this. And it's from Isaac Watts, and he was actually reading Galatians 6 whenever he wrote these words. He said, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. And so we're going to sing that song now as I finish. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Dear Lord God, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, for the freedom and the joy that comes with knowing that it's not in what I can do that attain salvation oh the amount of stress and the amount of anxiety and the amount of burden that would be upon us if that were the case that we had to do it by ourselves and it would be pointless too lord because we'd never be able to achieve it or attain it but we want to just thank you so much lord that you sent your son jesus christ into this world to pay the price that we couldn't pay and he did it out of love for us and to give glory to you 
And that three days later, he came back to life and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God forevermore. Lord, I just want to thank you so much that we can have this freedom in Christ and that your spirit can be at work within us if we trust in you. In your gracious name. Amen. Thank you.